Hello, film lovers and listeners of the podcast. You're listening to the 12th episode of the Split Take Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jacob, and today we're going to be trying something a little new. As you may or may not be aware, the podcast has been on hiatus due to technical difficulties. We appreciate your patience, and we are now back with some much-needed improvements. As you might be able to hear, I currently sound a lot better than I used to, and that is because I got a new microphone. Unfortunately, Chandler and I recorded two episodes before that, so those must come first. Obviously, this episode is one of those, so there is a little dip in the audio quality, but rest assured we are actively trying to improve the quality and editing of the podcast. On that note, if you, the listener, has any feedback for us, please email us, contact us on the Split Take social media accounts, or send us a telegram. Just get in contact with us. However you do it, any and all feedback on quality and content and anything is very much appreciated. Any suggestions you have for any format changes we should be doing is always welcome. If you'd also take the time to review the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, but also on Apple Podcasts specifically, if you could put a rating and a review on there, that would be tremendously helpful. Really helps people find this podcast and hopefully those people want to hear us talk about really obscure movies and uh, new releases too. So this week on Split Take, we will be discussing how to make favorite movie lists, the 2019 Best Picture nominee in World War I movie, 1917, and the Vietnam War movie and Best Picture winner from 1978, The Deer Hunter. So without further ado or any further nonsense, here is our discussion. Uh, editing the last episode has been just... Was great. Torturous. No, no, of course not. It was... I didn't get the audio from Nate until Sunday. <laughs> and Audacity doesn't do well with large audio file sizes. So... It, it'll, it'll be ready tomorrow, but not... You mean the last two episodes? Well, I have not officially decided what we're doing yet. I, I we... It might just okay. have to be one long episode. I'm not sure, though. So it'll be a surprise for me. Well, then we won't release another episode for a month. <laughs> you, uh, you released a new top 100 favorite movies of all time list today. Yes. How was that experience, putting 100 movies on a list? Well, I don't know. I kind of... I kind of thought to myself, oh, I was, looking at, I was looking at my top 40 the other day and I thought, oh man, there's a lot I don't have on here that I'd like. And then I realized, well, why did I do a top 40? It's such a weird number. The real reason is um, because I saw a, a while ago, there's like a, this picture going around, Edgar Wright wrote down his top 40 favorite movies and I thought, oh, 40, I can do that. That's always been my standard. Yeah. But today I just thought, ah, oh, there's a lot more movies that I consider to be in that like pantheon of great movies. Let's make it a hundred. Why not? Hmm. Cause I take a more like personal stance where it, your, the, your favorites list aren't even the movies that you like the most. It's the, of the, the movies that you like the most, it's the ones you like the most of that list. <laughs> so it's like, Two, two. Yeah, that's what it is. Lists removed. Well, no, I feel like you're just putting all the movies on there that you gave five stars, kind of. Not to diminish it, but that's not how I. No, I, I am not. To be fair, the movies that I do give five stars are the movies that I do feel are that good. Right. 
Second of all, there's a lot of five star movies that I'm just like, eh, I don't, I like them, but I don't want to put them on here. Yeah. Um, but I went through pretty much everything on there, especially when I went through the second round, are stuff that I feel personally attached to. We're good. And like, there's even a few movies where I'm like, oh, I gave this four and a half. I want to give it a five. It's not five star material, but I like it that much. Like La La Land. I know you don't feel the same way, but I love La La Land. Sure. For me, a while back, I, I started with my top 66 movies. I don't know if you remember those days when I had a big long list. And then I felt like that was... I do not. That that's was a strange number. Is it, though? Execute Order 66? That kind of that kind of strange? 66. It's that's a number. True. Anyway. That's true. So... I didn't see the cinematic parallels. Yeah, there's a lot of... There's so so much is going on. Every single frame, every single image. So dense. Yeah. Anyway, but I felt that 66 was too unwieldy. Like I, especially like the farther I got away from my top 10, the less I knew for certain where a movie should be placed. I don't know if you found that to be the case, but. Uh huh. Or if they were even like. Yeah, that's really I, special. I the exact same way. I don't know. Um, but I eventually, what I did was I scrapped that list completely and I said to myself, okay, let's just do a top 25. And that's what I've been doing for a while now. And recently I updated it. So I, what I did was I deleted everything. I just started fresh. And I said to myself, if I can't, yeah. if I can't remember it, it doesn't go on the list. That got rid of a few. And then I said to myself, that's true. 25 as with all numbers is arbitrary. So I'm going to just keep adding movies to this list until I feel that it adequately represents the movies that I cherish above all others. And hmm. the current list is at 30 at the moment. So I expect that number to change at some point. I don't know. Could go up, could go down, but I feel the point of lists yeah. for me is the exclusivity of keeping that number low of saying these yeah. are not just good movies, they're movies that mean something beyond their quality to me. And if that number is 100 for you, great. For me, I, I find just, once I get past 50, maybe the number's too unwieldy. I think 50 is my, it might be what I'll narrow it down to. Because 40, I felt like, there, 40 felt too little to me. Because I was constantly changing the last, like, 5 or 10. The top 10 is something that is cemented it will not change until unless there's a major shift in my uh, movie preferences. But the top 10 is what I define my tastes by. Everything else below it is just a matter of how I feel about that movie during the week. So maybe we'll go back because I was struggling to fill out the 100. So that's probably a bad sign. I'll probably just go back and make it a top 50. I enjoy having that list there. And what... Because now, because this list that you've made today, it's kind of like a snapshot of what you're thinking today. And yeah. what I stopped doing before, I would just delete the lists. Yeah. Now I just say list retired on blank date, and then I just start a new one. And so I can always like go back and like, oh, that's what I yeah. that's what I thought about those movies on that day, and just keep it as like a little memory. But because I do think that the list you made today is pretty interesting. I was looking through it, so. I, did you see I put Still Walking on there? I did see. You put a lot of surprising stuff that uh, I liked. Some of it I'm not sure about, but... Oh, here's another question. Whoa, what? Um, 
I noticed you put you put some movies. I do this too. So question if you thought about this at all, that you put some movies on your decade list in a different order than you did on your like 2019 list or your, your favorite movies list where like you might put parasite above marriage story or something like that. I think that's what, I don't know. Did it switch? Cause I think in your decade the, list, marriage it, story was, above I think it parasite. did switch. I was being, yeah, I was being a little, um, I was, I was, I was definitely conscious of what I was doing. I just recently came to the conclusion that I think I like Parasite a little bit more than Marriage Story. Mm. Um, and the social network also jumped a lot higher. I did see that. And I don't even think it was on my decade list. Or do you mean it year wasn't. list? Yes, yeah. Uh, it was just stuff I thought about recently. Because when, you know, when I'm ordering the entire list, I really think to myself, okay, is it this good to be on this list? And if so, how much? Basically, what I would do is I'd get a movie, and I'd drag it, and I'd keep dragging it up, and I'd be like, do I like it more than this movie? Yes. Do I like it more than this movie? Yes. That's uh, a good way of doing it. And usually around the 40 mark is where I'm like, yeah. Which, you know, it's hard to do that for every movie. Maybe that's, I should have just started from the bottom, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I, don't, I don't keep the continuity. That's another reason I need to go back, because again, I just kind of made this list on the fly. I want to go back and mar- maybe narrow it down. Hmm. and do some reordering but my my ordering changes a lot yeah i've seen approximately i've seen 86 movies on this list out of 100 which is pretty good but not perfect so i'll have to change that what is mystery train i've never heard about that one i know it's jim jarmusch but (laughs) i just watched that yeah, and, yeah, and then I saw I it, it appeared on it. your favorite movies. There's so, well, okay, the favorite movies thing. I don't know if you read my um, my, read my little profile notes. Favorite movies are just the movies I've been thinking about recently. Hmm. Okay. They're 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 not like my actual. They're not my top four, or else they wouldn't change very often. Like mine, it's just don't movies change. that for whatever reason entered my mind, and I thought, ah, eh, yeah. Yours don't change? Your favorites on your profile? No, maybe I should do that. I should change the... Because right now I have Fanny and Alexander, Eight and a Half, Empire, and Yojimbo. And that hasn't changed in a while. Yeah. But maybe I should, yeah, maybe I should do it. Yeah, because it used to be like literally my top four. And I thought, oh, that's boring. Maybe it is boring. Maybe, I, yeah. Yeah, it's I'll nice. change it. Like, I've been... I've been... I've, I've been watch. I, I just watched Mystery Train, so it's on my mind. There's been a lot of like YouTube stuff and uncut gems recently. I'm getting very hyped for the come and see um, restoration and Fargo is featured heavily in the book I just read. So those are my current quote unquote favorites. Mm. But Mystery Train is lovely. You should watch it. It's on uh, it's on the Criterion channel. I can't explain why I like early Jarmusch movies as much as I do, but I really do. I just do. I haven't seen any early Nothing German, much happens. Sure. It's all very static, but it's just kind of a hangout movie. Sure. I watched his second through fourth. I went to go watch his first the other day on the channel because it's only a little over an hour long. And the first five minutes were a little uh, first filmy to me. And I just mm-hmm. stopped. Mm. And then I thought, oh, hey, I should probably watch The Deer Hunter. <laughs> Good choice. But we'll get to that. We will. So it was yeah, good. Yeah, good. I think at some point on this podcast we should come back to our our favorite movies and maybe 
maybe occasionally spotlight one or two of them. You know, the ones that maybe aren't on the BFI list. If there's like a slow theater week? Yeah, maybe. Yes. Yeah. You know, choose some that aren't on the BFI list or aren't. You'd have been a great uh, concept for this podcast. What? Is every week we do a BFI movie and then the movie that should go on in place of the BFI movie. Well, that would take... uh, We'd have to get together beforehand. Half the time we think of a movie... That would take a long time. Yeah, we'd have to get together beforehand, That's essentially, true. and decide what we think would be the movies That's to true. replace it. We'd have to record like twice a week. Although we could That's we could do that. Mind. Maybe next time, whenever whenever we say... I redact that claim. Oh, well, what was the last movie? Imitation of Life. So, like, <sighs> if we, we could hypothetically, if we were doing Imitation of Life, we would get to the end of the episode and say, this movie doesn't deserve to be on the list. Here's another movie that is like this movie that could be here. We could give suggestions at the end, perhaps. Uh, Maybe. That is oh, some of Which reminds me, quick aside. Yeah. Um, what was the, your general opinion on Magnolia? Magnolia was fine. I don't know why people love it as much <laughs> as they do. I've noticed that that's always the first line of your review when you try to sound uh, when you're trying to be too mean about a movie. You just start with it was fine. <laughs> OK, it was just it. So it doesn't rank very highly. No. in The PTA filmography. No, I don't understand. I really don't. I'm getting going to get angry <laughs> about Magnolia for a second because it has a lot of five star reviews. Like I checked Letterboxd just <laughs> while I was watching it before I even yeah, got halfway it's, through. It's, and I saw yeah. that a lot of people I follow gave it four it's and a half and five stars. And I was like, that, what? Yeah. It's well made, but it's mm-hmm. so, it's like the emotional level of the characters and the filmmaking starts at a nine and goes up yeah. from there throughout the, the movie. <laughs> like it's just all I, too much. All I've seen from Magnolia is the scene with Julianne Moore in the pharmacy. Oh. Yeah, just imagine that for three hours. Like, oh, this seems a little intense. It is. It's a very intense yeah. movie. Have you ever seen any uh, Robert Altman movies? Yes. What have I... Because that was supposedly his huge influence in his early, uh, um, his early films. He's a big Altman fan. Well, uh, I will say that what I've seen of Altman, I don't care for so maybe that's it whenever pta takes on i've literally does, only seen like nashville whenever pta homages other genres and styles it works for me but yeah as soon as he tries uh robert altman nope the fault is with it with the, like the homage drunk. and not the yeah i feel like punch drunk love is his first movie where he actually starts to have his own like style where he's not sort of doing a riff on another genre or type of movie. Yeah, and I can see that. Ironically, yeah. one of my, I still like it, but it's like my, <sighs> it's currently my least favorite PTA movie. Well, I'm excited to to see you watch Magnolia and figure out what you think of it. It is. I'm I'm excited. It's on Netflix. Too. It is certainly. It's not a bad movie. I'm not saying that. I'm yeah. just saying that it was just. W- way too much it just didn't even compare to the rest of pta's the movies i really like for for me from what i hear as well he's also kind of iffy on the movie yeah 
Because at the time, you can compare interviews, like at the time the movie came out, when a bunch of people were like, don't you feel like this movie is a little too long? And a very young PTA with his big glasses, like, no, we need every minute of it. Then there was an interview he did at like the 20th anniversary screening or 15, where he's like, yeah, we probably could have cut like 20 or 30 <laughs> minutes out of this. Well, that's that's the sign of a good so director least, who knows least how to be. At least current PTA feels the same way you do. Yeah, well, well, I might yeah. be a little more harsh than he is because it is his movie. His baby. All right. That's fair. Let's talk about 1917. Yeah. Who, who do you want me to introduce the film? Do you want to introduce it? Um, yeah. So a bunch of toddlers get sent to World War One um, on a Broadway stage um, and war happens and then it ends. That's all. the. Mo- that's the movie. I, Fantastic. My great. Film. My God. Hope what it wins best picture. One, I'll be angry if it wins best best picture. <laughs> you told me two, I was too harsh. You are being movie. too harsh on it. I will be very mad. I'm not. I I don't think you're being harsh enough. Okay. I don't well, know you, how you feel about it precisely. So not. let's let's get our thoughts out there. But first, let me just say, I do know that I let you know that a week or so ago it was 27, not 2017, 20. God damn it, 1917 was on the IMDb top 200 <laughs> and it was yeah like number 15 or something. Uh, oh and I can, can happily report uh, that yeah. it is now out 15? of 15. I can now happily report uh, that it is out of the top 30. That's why I don't even, I don't even check IMDb. I just find it interesting because I feel it's more of a, it's a, a test Idiots of the, of the, eh, Mass audiences are on the site. It's a test, a litmus test of what the audience, the audiences of today are thinking. Yeah. Which, you know, well, they're that's not the thing, wrong. Right, is that I, I saw this movie with my brother, Nick Johnson, and Brandon Sanju, and they all thought it was being really harsh on the movie. Um, and I, I just don't see the appeal. I really don't. It is the most by-the-books war movie presented in the most deceptively shallow way and i was so bored throughout the first like the last hour and a half i just did not really find interesting at all all right so 1917 (laughs) is a pretty engaging (laughs) world war one thriller film that I think really drops the ball when it comes to its characterization and its its actual film making, like the narrative of the film. But what does work, and I think what a lot of people has have latched onto, and yeah. what I latched onto, is the fact that it's so it's vis- viscerally engaging. Maybe not for someone like you, but at the very least, there is a a strong sense of tension and building of tension and stakes throughout the the film. There is enough characterization that you can get by although pretty iffy and that that's my main issue is that i never really got a hold of who our our two leads were and then one of them dies and like cool see ya um yeah and then the other guy goes through his entire journey and he gets to the end and like fun i guess you you won today i i I don't know like it it felt it felt Empty. It was empty spectacle, but the spectacle was really well made. It was yeah, 
on on, on a moment by moment basis, it worked for me. But some of see, yeah, I I find it ironic that um, you know, Martin Scorsese recently called Marvel movies like roller coasters, theme park rides, mm-hmm. because this felt like the most roller coastery theme park ride of a movie I've ever been to. And it maybe it was the fact that it was all one take, but it was constantly like, oh, let's walk, let's walk, let's walk. Oh, boom, explosion. Oh, let's walk. Oh, dead body. And the camera would like pan over like, oh, look how spooky the dead bodies are. And you have these characters who are rushing it you through this story, almost like you're on like Star Tours or something like that. And I just, I don't know, I, I saw through the whole facade. And there's by certainly the end, a facade. Thought, okay, to that it. was. Although, didn't you you compared it to a theater production in the beginning in your opening summary? Uh, yeah, it was it was it was stagey to me, but I guess I mean more in a um, a roller coaster way than a theatrical way. See, the other thing is is I I suppose this is a negative. I could not stop thinking about the fact that it was one take and that I I was the cuts were so obvious. Yeah, I I couldn't care less about that. Like that, no okay. one, no one, most audiences don't care about where the cuts yeah. are and like if they're obvious or not, who cares? Um, that doesn't affect the actual content of the film. That's just, oh, you noticed, good for you. Yeah. Um, but what bothered me, and this is completely on me, this is not necessarily anything wrong with the film, is I could not just uh-huh. help thinking the entire time of how far has he actually walked if this is actually, oh, if this was actually one right. thing. Because it all feels incredibly like close. Like he only walked a yeah. few miles at best. He walked because you know this. This it's obviously a wide. There's a lot of facets to this story and conflict. And when you really think about how, I mean, he gets through like an entire battlefield in literally real time, like thirty to forty five minutes. And you know the World War One is a war that I study more closely than the other wars because I find it interesting in the actual trenches. Again, not that historical accuracy has any uh, uh, sway in a movie for me, but the trenches went on for miles and it, I, I just wish they did a better job at, at least making it look a little bit bigger. I never got the sense that anything else, there was more outside of the frame, which I think adds to the whole theme park feeling to it for me the trench was the most realistic part and as soon as we got out of there the the spatial awareness kind of yeah was wonky because he's supposed yeah. to be walking miles what was it like 13 7 something i don't know but the point was a bit that, yeah and then i i do get the sense in retrospect how it can feel a bit like a a roller coaster or like a video not a video game a uh Oh, I'd say video game. Okay, maybe a video game where like yeah. he they go to the house and they have to clear out the house and complete that task. And then he gets on a car and there's a cutscene inside of the, the car with the other soldiers. And yep. then he has to get out because he mm-hmm. has to. Why not? Um and it It's funny because there are these things in video games that are really annoying called quick time events. Where like you'll be in a cutscene and then in the middle of a cutscene, like someone will jump out at you or you have to push like a boulder and the screen will just say A, A, like oh, hit right. a, the yeah. button A a bunch of times. I just kept thinking about that when the car <laughs> gets stuck in the mud. My thumb was like, uh, hit X, please. 
So I would just summarize my thoughts and say that 1917 worked for me as an experience, but not necessarily as much else. And I think that's how it's working for most people, that they, the the shallow yeah. character development and the kind of go here, do that nature of the film is a bit less obvious for them because they are engrossed in the the stakes because it does keep a fair amount of tension going at any moment. And that, that it works. does. I'll admit the the um, they went to the bunkers and the rats and, uh, you know, tripwire. I thought that was pretty well done for the most part. But again, then when they're escaping, it feels much like a video game where they're like, oh, we got to get out. I almost felt like Indiana Jonesy in that way. Yeah. So my least favorite moment of the movie is ironically, it's most pivotal moment. And it was when the the brother, the one of the main characters dies. When Tommen dies? Yeah. When they, they save the guy <laughs> and then he stabs him. Oh, and I'm like, why I thought th- why are you close enough to be stabbed in the first place by someone you just pulled yeah. out of a burning plane? Jesus Christ. Yeah. I thought you have no I- intelligence because the the film showed me up into that point that he as a soldier, he had a fair amount of intelligence. Yeah. So it, it's not like a, a, a injured man could just pull a knife out and quickly stab you. I, I don't know. Like it felt completely fabricated yeah. to me. Well, the thing is, I like the idea of that. Um, because yeah. I do feel like he was a a childishly naive character, but they didn't do a good enough job explaining how naive he was. So it just came off as kind of a, a stupid mistake. Um, I also feel like that scene in particular is kind of an example of how heavy handed the score was. And I felt that an entire like death scene. I was just thinking, oh, this is so dramatic. Was Overly there, so. I don't really remember. Was there music over that? Yes, there are a lot. Okay, well, why? The, 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 I don't know. Just cut out the music. I feel exactly. like it'd be a lot more effective if you just cut out the music it would, and it's just the the nature foley in the background. I feel like the entire movie would have been a lot more um, uh, immersive if mm. there was no music and it felt all you heard was war sounds. Perhaps um, I do. I do think the music was effective, particularly at certain moments in the film. I'd say yeah. the moment that worked the best for me, and I thought was the most in viscerally engaging aspect moment of the film was when uh, he uh he wakes up and he runs out of the after he, he was knocked out right and he wakes yeah, up yeah. and then he starts running across the ruined city and there's yeah, all these yeah. flares going up and that Roger Deakins, amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah. brings out his a-game that was that's utterly that jaw-dropping is, that is the only time in the movie where i remembered oh it's roger deakins that was so well lit and that was, I think, the as far as the visuals go, the best part of the movie. Yeah. But my problem with a lot of, again, I understand a spectacle-driven movie, but what bothered me is that the spectacle, I feel like the one-take nature of it detracted more than it actually benefited mm. to the movie. Because, again, I know most people aren't looking for the cuts, and I don't feel like, you know, blatant cuts will alone destroy the movie. But something like Birdman, where I still to this day struggle to find the cuts, it definitely helps the whole one take thing feel a lot more unique and a lot more um, uh, warranted if it is executed that well. With a war movie like this, when the cuts are so obvious and also let's let's not forget that it literally does cut in the middle of the movie. When he gets knocked out. Yeah. 
which I'm like, okay, so then it's not even really a one take movie. So if it's not executed amazingly, again, not perfectly, it doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to be somewhat incredible on its own merit. And then why are you doing this? Especially with World War One movies, where war movies more than any other kind of movies benefit from insane production design and spectacle. And the whole time when there's not something super interesting happening on the screen, like running through a trench or the plane falls down Mm -hmm. or that scene that's in the trailers where he's running when everyone's going into battle. When that when there's nothing like that happening, it's just two characters who aren't very well fleshed out walking from left to right. And it's those moments where I'm like, why did you need Deacons? Why did you need a one take? Just do the things that you're doing. Stick to what works in this story. See, I thought the the one take really worked at certain points of the film. And it didn't work the whole time. Well, the one take, it's it's so exhausting when it's not working well. Yes, I would agree with you. And the parts that do work well, again, like the outside flare scenes, I'm amazed. I think it just could have been handled better. I don't think that the whole concept is flawed from the get-go. Because I think that the opening 10 minutes I think you really could put worked. that in the poster of this movie. It could have been done better. <laughs> okay, the uh, opening yeah. 25 minutes, up until they, they finish cross, crossing the trench. I would say so too. Really worked for me. And I think the last, the last part of the film also really worked as a one-take for me. But... In the middle, it was uneven, the pacing, and I felt that could have just been handled better, but the one take itself really didn't... I felt it it added a lot to the film, and despite some issues when the characterization fell flat and there was literally nothing really much to grab your attention on screen, Uh that's when it kind of fell fell down for me, but not because it was, on the whole, a bad idea. And also, I'd just like to point out that, on the whole, I'm a lot more... I'm a lot more critical when it comes to war movies um, because I have a, I have this thing where I feel like war movies have to have a lot more uh, weight on their shoulders as far as portraying these events. And this one did it with a lot of spectacle and a lot of really, really just um, un, underdeveloped anti-war messages that I feel like did more harm than good. Um. I don't know, just the whole thing by the end of it. I'm just, I, I was exhausted. I wasn't all that entertained. And have I you was just seen, thinking about the war movies I really like. Have you seen The Grand Illusion? Is that the, is that the one take Russian movie? No, The Grand Illusion, uh, Jean Renoir, uh, World War One movie. Very good. It's on this, is it on this list? If it's not on this list, that's a crime. Um, no, no, well, okay. Very highly I've recommend. Seen Pads of Glory. I think Grand Illusion is actually maybe like spine number two or three of the Criterion collection. Oh, it's out wow. of print, I think. But oh, it's two. It's two. I just read this thing. Ah. Oh wait, it might even be one. Maybe it might be one. It it's might a, be number one. It's a really good movie. It's for me one of the best World War One movies because it's it's more about the the chivalry, the end of the chivalry, like the the nobility class of that happened during world war one well, that's what and i a return to like yeah or that's it's the what, beginning of modern warfare and well, it's that's very why i war find world war one so interesting because like the first year or two of this world war is like nothing but people 
the general's learning that you can't fight like you used to, and it's just a matter of throwing a bunch of soldiers into a meat grinder and hoping that the other one one gets overtoppled or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, not I, I haven't seen a lot of World War One movies. Mm-hmm. The only one I can really think of off the top of my head that I really enjoyed was Paths of Glory. And I was I had high hopes for this one. And alas. Two and a half out of five. Maybe even a two. Grand Illusion is like the great escape, but for World War One. If that makes sense. Okay. Anyway, 1917. The Great Escape? Yeah, the great it's because it's a it's a, a prison break film, essentially. Not the whole thing, but you th- you mean a man escaped? Oh no, they're okay. No, never mind. You're right. You're right. Do we have a lag between our our audio today? I think we do. Yes, we take, do. You take an extra second to to respond. Interesting. Is it better when I get close to the microphone? I don't know. If I'm being honest, I I definitely noticed there was a lag, but I didn't think it was horrible enough to stop. No, the we've podcast. been getting by. This has worked so far. Yeah, okay, cool. So 1917, it it's it's a fun movie. I would recommend it just because it, it looks great and it's well executed, but don't expect anything to you know, anything deeper than just a, a roller coaster of a World War One movie. Uh, I mean, I can't even say I don't recommend this just because I feel like this is the kind of experience that movie theaters are made for. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Don't see it. Dumb. (laughs) Go see Parasite instead. Mm. Or Little Women. All right. Let's talk about The Deer Hunter. Another war movie. Another war movie. Do you want to explain it or do you want me to? I'll, I'll explain it, I guess. Because you got 1917. So The Deer Hunter is a movie. Let me pull this up. The Deer Hunter is a 1978 epic war drama co-written and directed by Michael Camino. Not Camino. Camino? Camino? Doesn't matter. Uh, He's a guy and he directed The Deer Hunter. Let's call him Mike. Mike. Mikey uh, directed this movie. He... It's about uh, a group of friends in mining country, Pennsylvania, who a few of them are shipped off to the Vietnam War and the effects that that has on them. Chandler, what did you think of the three hour and four minute long deer hunter? (laughs) Uh, I think this was a good three hour movie that could have been a great two and a half hour movie. Yes. Great, great conversation. That's it. Bye. <laughs> well, okay. If you, if you want me to get more in depth, I don't know. I just, I felt like it really takes its time. <laughs> and I can't say I was ever, you know, I, I was ever bored by it. Cause I think it's a very well shot movie. Um, but I think it takes its time in the wrong places. It's a very long movie with a lot of just, shots and scenes of people doing things but not really saying things whereas by the third act of this movie when you know we're all supposed to see all these characters um specifically robert De Niro and christopher walken how the war has affected them i i get a feeling that there's a lot of inferring about characters we don't really know all that well yeah, so my general thoughts on The Deer Hunter is that I didn't enjoy it all that much. It was a good movie, I suppose. Yeah. 
So I felt a bit more extreme from you that the opening act of the film in Pennsylvania was overly long and almost a complete waste compared to what came after it. Yeah. I mean, it's like literally an hour before they get to Vietnam. It's a lot of dancing, a lot of weddings, a lot of the first hour of this movie. Everybody is drunk. (laughs) It I don't like them. Okay, so there are three main characters in this. There's Nick. There's Michael and and Lieutenant Dan. And yes. And I felt that the movie would have benefited exponentially if it had focused far more time on those three and had their other friends just be out just on the outside of the circle instead of. Yeah. Cause you know, we get a lot, we get a good amount of time with Meryl Streep, which I feel like we do kind of need that. Yes. But, but I'm talking the, about the, 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 the two or three other guy friends they have. Yeah. The bald guy with the gun from dog day afternoon and the Godfather. Yeah. Uh, Jim. Um, no, it's I, not Jim Caviezel. What am I saying? It's. <laughs> John Cazell. John <laughs> yes, John Cazell. In Gazelle. his final role. That was his final role? Yep. I know he died pretty early. Fun um, fact, he only he only made five movies, and every mo- one of them was either nominated or awarded Best Picture. Yeah, all, I, I remember from The Godfather and Dog Day Afternoon. I don't know what else he's in. He's but I love in him in Dog Day Afternoon. The Conversation. He's, he's in oh. Godfather Part 2. Oh. And yes. I don't know it yet. Anyway, yeah. but his character yeah. felt superfluous, particularly near the end. I don't know. A lot of it, for me, I think the the my biggest issue with the film is that it really needed a better editor to tell Michael Camino that some of this, they, they would cut to shots that were not necessary or not developing the story in any way. And it was particularly egregious during the wedding scene, wedding party sequence, when they would just cut back and forth between different shots of people dancing and doing things. And uh, I always was asking myself so much that what is this adding to the movie? And the answer was nothing. And it really frustrated me. I will say this, the structure of the movie, I do enjoy how. You know, it's not like a typical war movie where we have the happy go lucky small town lads. We see the boot camp. We see them break. We see them enter Vietnam. I love how we cut from like the wedding to like the middle of a battlefield. But you don't need an hour to do that. Um, do you know uh, the the story behind his the movie he made after this? No. What? Which one was that? Is that Heaven's Gate? Heaven's Gate, yeah. Yeah, well, do we have time to get into that? I feel like that's another... That is like a whole other episode, but I feel like a lot of the issues with Heaven's Gate are are issues that the editor tried his best to prevent in The Deer Hunter. And you can kind of see where the this director's weaknesses lie early on, but I still think overall it was a pretty good movie. Yeah, I'm gonna... I, I'm a little harsh on it, I think it was also our lag is getting ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Chandler, let's, I'm going to hang up on you and then give you a call back and just see if that helps. Okay. Should I keep recording? Is it helping? Is I don't know. Is it? I don't think it helped. 
I don't, I, I, you took like two seconds to respond to that. So I don't know. Well, let's continue and make the best of it as we can. I, I must be going soon anyway. So it, it felt to me what director Mikey was doing was he was going for more of a drama that was based around the trials and tribulations of the Vietnam War. But it also felt that what mm-hmm. the Vietnam War that we got was too sensationalized almost. I don't know, because it, it is a well-known fact that the Russian roulette stuff is completely made up. And I feel the movie would have a much better impact if the scenes of the Vietnam War were more grounded in a reality. But I'm not sure if the filmmaking, if that was even possible when The Deer Hunter was was made. I don't think that that, that the, the realities of the Vietnam War could have been depicted on screen in any truthful way back then. Was this before or after Apocalypse Now? I don't know, but Apocalypse Now, there's a bit of a distance. That's more of a kind of a psychedelic trip through Vietnam. So there's a, it's removed, but it, it captures yeah. the feeling of Vietnam. This feels less like it's removed yeah. and more removed in the sense that it's just not accurately... It, it, it felt like it's using the Vietnam War as a narrative device rather than giving it doing it justice in a ethical yeah that's way. the thing is i that's the thing i don't understand is because i feel like this movie up until like the last 10 or 20 minutes was really anti-war but then it ends with them singing the national anthem Didn't or whatever me. the song is that i hated that <laughs> i hated it also that. also uh, i wrote down minus 10 points immediately for freeze frame credits that look like it's out of oh uh, no too many cooks. yeah I forgot about that. That's where I stopped. Uh, well, good. I shouldn't have watched it through. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, this is kind of a mess, the whole thing. It is. But here, I'll say some good things about it. It's really well acted. Robert De Niro gives a hell of a performance. Meryl Streep, in I think her first Oscar-nominated performance. It was. A start of a it long was. career of Oscar nominations. It Great. Great performances all around. And it was interesting. It was a good movie. I just felt that it was really brought down by the fact that yeah. the opening hour didn't really endear me to any of the characters. And therefore, the rest of the film, which I thought was a lot more engaging, the last two sections, not perfect and still had their issues, but they were more engaging. Um, it just didn't it didn't work because it wasn't set up well for me. Yeah, uh, I will say this. I do think that uh christopher walken deserved that oscar i think he was fantastic in this movie uh and i do think that the um the russian roulette scenes i i thought were tense at times uh i will say this a little bit of um uh maybe this is just not as obvious to the people who don't know a little bit more about the filmmaking process but when i saw robert de niro and christopher walken sit down i thought oh i pretty sure the guy with the bandana has the squib on his head and he will die and yeah well that's what happened yeah i i don't know i it was so anti-war and then it was pro-america is yeah if i were to explain it with one sequence yeah remember when they're driving to the hunting and they ditch the one guy on the side of the road and they just keep ditching him and I'm like, none of this is oh my necessary God. for the movie. It's, that Cut whole scene out. takes like two minutes. 
That was the first time in the movie. I mean, I've thought about it back in my head a bunch of times. That's the first time where I literally said to the movie, what are you doing? <laughs> we don't need to see this. Cut out that fucking A guy entirely. <laughs> the, the optimal length. You have to, if you're going to be a three hour movie, you have to really justify it. And I think if you don't justify it, you. And this is coming from the man who loves yes. the four hour movies. Yeah, good ones. Ones that they don't even have to be good. <laughs> they have to justify being that long. Right? Like, I think An Elephant Sitting Still, which is yeah. a four hour movie, has its problems, mm -hmm. but it justifies its length. I don't think The Deer Hunter justifies it. I think, like you said, a two hour, 20 minute, two hour, it just needs to be shorter. And I think it would have been more impactful. And I think that the, the first act yeah. really just didn't, didn't work for me. It didn't hook me. And part of that was that I didn't get a hold on the characters. I didn't see why, like it's set in this Pennsylvania industrial town. And yet that seems almost inconsequential to anything. I don't yeah. know. And then there's the abusive father of Meryl Streep. Yeah. I, and that's just one scene and then kind of done. Okay. Yeah. There's just so yeah. much that the first hour of this movie was so focused on setting up the world for some reason. And then they go to Vietnam. And then the last third of this movie is about the characters that weren't established because you were too busy filming a fucking wedding for 30 minutes. Yep. It does. I don't think it deserves to be on the BFI list. And I'm sorry to the people who love this movie. I don't think so either. I think this whole movie is just a Travis Bickle origin story. <laughs> and the prequels are never as good. Just immediately cut. There's, there's from... so many better Vietnam War movies that can go on here. Yeah. Just cut from the end of the second part of the movie to Taxi Driver. He comes home and moves to New York and then becomes. Oh, also Robert De Niro's face. Robert De Niro's facial hair. His facial hair was a mistake. <laughs> so bad the uh, whole time <laughs> oh it looks so bad oh my god i i, I did i completely forgot about that yeah terrible right. absolutely any, terrible any final thoughts i'm done i'm done <laughs> all right what are we what are we watching next oh week? god what are we watching dumb I, I'm supposed to know what this. are we? I don't know. What are we watching next oh, week? I don't know. No. Where did I put it? I don't ever check. I might just watch it tonight or tomorrow. We'll see. Ah, it's buried underneath a stack of papers. All right. Deer Hunter. I'm putting an X by Deer Hunter. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> number. Uh, this is on the critics list. It's Tuki Buki from 1973. Okay. So. What the fuck is that? <laughs> well, I'm sure what? we'll have fun. Next week is also uh, our that guest. That can't be real. It's real. I, is I he watching know. it? <laughs> no, I think we're going to have him just on for the beginning part. We will probably do our Oscar predictions. Okay. And Brenton and I may talk about weathering with you. So if you want to subject I, yourself I might... to that. It's not bad. It's just, it is what it is. Okay. Is Tuki Buki okay? So this looks like an African movie. It is. I'm very. I'm kind of excited. I don't get to watch okay, a lot of African yeah. films. Okay. Yeah. I'm. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited. It's also only an hour and thirty five. 
Rejoice. I can deal with that. God damn. I never even heard of this. And that's why we're doing this. Because I've never heard of this. And I'm excited. 